from the creators of the hit kids podcast, Who Smarted, and Netflix Brainchild, comes the adventurous world of mysteries about true histories, affectionately known as math. Every episode follows Max and Molly, who've just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers on an adventure through time, packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs, making learning cool. It's perfect for ages six and up, and new episodes drop every Thursday, each stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. Episodes are about 15 minutes, the perfect length for car rides, meal times, break times, and bedtime. Every episode follows two best friends, Max and Molly, and they work together to solve riddles and math equations during their time-traveling adventures. Episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras's Ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. The goal of math is to weave humor and education together so that kids won't even realize they're learning. We loved Who Smarted? So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids, and you can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. It's sure to please your family as much as it's pleased ours. It's all about that flexibility and looking for a larger sweet spot because making no decision doing nothing, not moving forward, that's how anxious people stay stuck because they won't take any risk. Remember, anxious people don't want to take any risk. So it could be a decision of should we get a cat or not? It could be a decision of should we move or not? And people oftentimes will do nothing because the distress that they feel at possibly making a bad decision shuts them down. Welcome to Flusterclucks with Lynn Lyons, where we talk about how to manage those tricky emotions that show up in all families. Serious stuff without being too serious. I'm your co-host, Robin, and I'm Lynn's sister-in-law, and I'm here to ask your questions. And I'm Lynn Lyons. I'm an anxiety expert, speaker, mom, and author, and I've been a therapist for over 30 years. Parenting can be a Flusterclucks, and I'm here to help you find your way. And I'll even tell you what to do and what to say. So Robin, today we're going to talk about decisions. Okay. You mean making choices? Making choices. Yeah. So we've gotten several questions in the podcast Facebook group about decisions and how they can be so crippling for kids. And some people have even asked, is this related to anxiety? Is this an anxiety thing? We think about decisions. We think about big decisions. So a lot of families, it's now... We're into May and a lot of people made that May 1st decision about what college that they're going to go to. And that can really feel big and huge and overwhelming. But the way that anxiety and decisions are connected is really much more insidious in terms of our everyday lives, in terms of what decisions we have to make. It really becomes cumbersome. And I just want to talk about the connection between anxiety and making decisions both big ones and small ones. For like starting at what age? Well, so you see with little kids, they are having difficulty making decisions that we wouldn't consider big decisions. Like a five-year-old isn't deciding which college to go to, not deciding what car to buy, not deciding whether or not they should get the warranty on the refrigerator. They're making decisions about what shirt they should wear or what they should have for lunch or whether or not they should go with mommy or daddy to the grocery store. Or I was going to say to the dump. In New Hampshire, people go to the dump. Do you go to the dump? I don't go to the dump because I live in Concord. We're pretty sophisticated here in Concord. People come and pick up our trash, which is pretty cool. But if you live in an outlying, if you live in a town like the town next to me, you got to go to the dump. Yeah, it's kind of a country thing. 
For our listeners outside of New Hampshire right now, you just said, it's kind of cool people come and pick up our trash. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, it doesn't take much to please, Lynn. Yeah. (laughs) I wasn't going to say that, but... But I think it's funny because the way it comes up a lot is that on a Saturday morning, when you go to the dump, a lot of families, truly, a lot of families talk to me about like, we have, she has such difficulty in the morning because I'm going to go run my errands. I'm going to go to the grocery store and my husband's going to go to the dump. And she labors over who she should go with of whether or not she should go to the grocery store or the dump. I mean, that truly comes up a lot because it's a decision that you make on a weekly basis if you're a family living in certain towns in New Hampshire. I digress. So here's the thing that comes up a lot. When you are anxious, remember, anxiety is about certainty. Anxiety is about needing to know exactly what's going to happen. And whenever you make a choice, you're saying yes to something, but you're saying no to something else. And if there is any kind of uncertainty about, gosh, what's the best choice? It becomes crippling. And the thing that's often the case is that it doesn't really matter which shirt that you wear. It doesn't really matter if you decide that you're going to have this for dinner or that for dinner on every particular day. But the way that anxiety gets so controlling is that it makes you believe that there is one good choice and you have to make the right one. And that's how this comes up over and over again. It comes up with little kids with little decisions that feel like big decisions to them. Then as you get older, the stakes are higher with the decisions you're making, right? Like, should you try out for the school play or not? Or should you do this? Or should you do that? Who should you hang out with? What college should you go to? Should you take this part-time job? And I see it also just continuing to move into adulthood as well. Then you're trying to decide things like, should I buy this car? Should I buy this house? Should I take this job offer? It becomes a pervasive thing in an anxious person's life because they have to know ahead of time that they're making the right decision. And what if you make the wrong decision? There's that what ifing. So very, very common with people who are anxious for people who worry. When you say this, for those who are regular listeners and have or read your books, one of the things I have a question about is, would you say that a lot of this is associated with another anxiety pattern of perfectionism? And or is this also about underdeveloped sense of autonomy in a child as well? So maybe you can talk about the early development of how this would appear in a kid where a parent should really be paying attention. Yes, you're right on both parts. So in terms of developing autonomy, one of the things that you want to do is you want to give your child the opportunity to pick and choose different things because we want them to have experiences where they make bad choices. And we want them to have that experience when the stakes aren't so high. So say you decide that you want to have this flavor ice cream instead of that flavor ice cream, and then you regret, oh God, you should have gotten this ice cream flavor and not that ice cream flavor. That is a really good experience for a child to have because they're realizing through these choices, through these decisions that they're making, is that sometimes we make bad choices. And then what do we do about that? That it's okay if we make a decision. It's okay if we feel a little bit of regret. But if you are a parent that's stepping in to make sure that everything always goes the way it's supposed to go, if you are a parent stepping in to make sure that your child is never disappointed or never makes a bad choice or never screws up, 
you're not giving them the ability to develop that autonomy, for sure. Here's the other thing too, though, is that it's better to give kids choices, but if you're little, we don't want to overwhelm them with 17 different choices. So you say to a little kid, well, would you prefer to have this or that? Or would you prefer to go to this place or that place? When you see a younger child freaking out, right? I don't know if I should go with mommy or daddy, or I don't know if I should, grandpa wants to take me to this thing, but I also want to go to this thing with my brother. When you see that distress, that's a time for you to have a very concrete discussion about choosing things. And the language that you can use is you can say, oftentimes we can do more than one thing. We can have more than one thing. We have to decide between more than one thing. And the tricky thing about it is that when you choose one thing, that means you're saying no to other things. And that can feel a little uncomfortable. Sometimes it feels very uncomfortable and sometimes it feels risky. But we're making a decision now because we don't have a time machine where we can go into the future and see what's the best decision. So we're going to make a decision based on the information we have now. And we also want to talk to kids about the fact that there are different levels of decision and that we make lots of decisions and choices during the day. Anxiety, as defined by David Barlow, one of my favorite definitions, an overestimation of the problem, an underestimation of your resources to handle it. So if your child is absolutely paralyzed by whether or not they should wear the green t-shirt or the blue t-shirt, they are promoting that decision to an emergency, to a level that it doesn't deserve. And that's the kinds of conversations that you can have with your child starting at an early age. In a prior episode, you gave some really great concrete advice for families to prevent hoarding. You gave really concrete steps for families with younger children, how to choose to get rid of things, because that's a learned skill. So if you have a child who is showing distress, making a choice of going with mommy or daddy, which is like the clients in your office, let's either work from that moment or even let's think of it preventatively too. If that family went back in time, what would be some groundwork that they put down to help support healthy decision-making for a six or seven-year-old? Mm-hmm. If you see this as a problem, if your child is getting really distressed when you're trying to make a decision, or you're just seeing them sort of struggle with it kind of normally, like, oh, I don't know what to do. This is such a hard decision. The language you can lay down, the things you can begin to say is just be very open about the fact that sometimes it's hard to make a choice. That sometimes we have two good options, but we only have one person, right? So we can't make two of you. You can't go with mommy and with daddy. So when you make a choice, it is okay for you to feel, this is the language you want to use, it is okay for you to feel really excited about one thing that you're doing but also wondering if you're going to miss out on something else. You want to normalize that sort of conflicting emotion that you have. You know, I remember when my son and I went to go pick out the kitten from the litter of Stuart, who I currently have. You walk in and there is this house full of kittens. How do you choose the kitten that you want? How do you say, I'm going to pick this kitten? Because if we took one kitten... That means that we had to leave 14 other kittens behind. And there was a struggle of how do we choose this kitten? 
And the language that I use, and as we talked about it, was let's think about what our criteria are for choosing this kitten. And we know that when we leave, we're going to wish that we didn't have to just choose one. So you're validating the struggle or validating the conflicting emotions that we have when we make a tough decision. And with little kids that are having a real difficulty with this, they are making each decision momentous. Is that a word? They are making each decision huge. They're making it such a a crucial big decision. You want to talk about the fact that when we choose this shirt over that shirt, when we choose this ice cream flavor over that ice cream flavor, when we choose the supermarket over the dump, these are daily decisions and we need to work our decision muscle knowing that we're going to have conflicting feelings if it's a tough decision. Sometimes you have a lot of good choices, right? How do you choose between 14 kittens? It came down to two, actually. And then we really struggled with which of these two kittens to choose. Here's what we don't want to say, is that we don't want to say, when you make this decision, we know that you're going to make the right decision. Because we don't always know that. So the thing I'm always making room for is that little bit of uncertainty that we might feel. Sometimes we make the absolute right decision. Sometimes there's absolutely no doubt in your mind that you're making the right decision. But when kids are struggling with decision-making, what they're recognizing is that they can't know for sure. This is where the perfectionism comes in, is that I have to make the absolute right decision. There's one choice. There's one right way to go here. And I either choose the right thing or I'm going to make a mistake. And it's the inability to tolerate. That's what perfectionists say. It's really all or nothing. So it's that inability to tolerate the potential bad choice that cripples them. I have to know. I have to be sure. Remember, anxiety is a doubt factory. I have to know for sure that I'm making the right decision. And oftentimes then you don't make any decision. I really have to pay attention to hydrating properly. I work out a lot. I talk all the time, as you know. I am pretty active and I don't drink enough water. So I'm constantly thinking about how it is that I am going to hydrate in the best way possible. And I'll tell you, if my water has a little bit of flavor, it's so much easier for me. And if I can get those electrolytes, if I can get more bang for my buck, it's just so much better. I have been using liquid IV. I put it into a huge glass. I put it into the refrigerator. It's cold. It's very tasty. I've been putting it in my water bottle when I go to the gym. The packaging is so convenient. I actually look forward to drinking it, which is not something that comes naturally to me. I love the lemon-lime flavor. They've got a sugar-free apple. Option that is really great. So I think that if you're somebody like me that has a difficult time getting in the amount of hydration that you need for your body, Liquid IV is a great option. One stick, 16 ounces of water, it hydrates better than water alone. It's got three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drink, and it doesn't have all that sugar. It doesn't have artificial sweeteners, eight vitamins and nutrients just for your everyday wellness. It's non-GMO and free from gluten, dairy, and soy. However you hydrate, 
Grab your Liquid IV Hydration Multiplier sugar-free in bulk nationwide at Costco or get 20% off your first order when you go to liquidiv.com and use code FLUSTER at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code FLUSTER at liquidiv.com. You know, sometimes people wait until something bad happens to talk to a therapist, but why wait? Therapy can help you shift your perspective, find tools to cope in difficult times, and feel grounded in your personal relationships. So getting started is the important part. Talkspace makes it easy and affordable. With Talkspace, you can sign up online and get a personalized match with a provider that's right for you, typically within 48 hours. It's incredibly convenient to have virtual sessions with your licensed therapist from the comfort of your home, your car, your office. There's no need to commute to appointments and miss time at work or line up childcare in order to attend sessions. It's mental health care made easy. That's right. And it's secure and private. They use the latest end-to-end bank-grade encryption technology to store client information, complying with the latest HIPAA regulations. Remember, Talkspace is affordable and it's in-network with most major insurers. As a listener of this podcast, you'll get $80 off your first month with Talkspace when you go to Talkspace.com slash Fluster. To match with your licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash Fluster to get $80 off your first month. That's Talkspace.com slash Fluster. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. I guess now it's somewhere in the middle where you say, have the confidence to make a choice knowing that you don't know. I guess probably what I'm saying is have faith that it's okay. And that even if it's not totally okay, you'll have the skills to manage it, right? So say there's a small decision, you go into a restaurant and you're trying to decide what to order and you get caught up in this. I have to order the perfect thing. What if I order something and I don't like it? Well, order something that you're confident that you'll enjoy, making room for the fact that it's also okay if it's not as great as you thought it was going to be. Right. And then I think of the other mantra you share where that seems very relevant here is you say, go ahead and make a choice, but you can handle the outcome of your choice. I don't know. I guess if you get a kitty, how do you get a bad kitty? You might have had a bad kitty in your lifetime. Oh, you can get a bad kitty. 
So you're just looking at the behavior. When we when we went in to get these kitties, the two that we were struggling with was one, they named him Lovable Larry, who's now Stuart, because we wanted a kitty that was really lovey. We wanted a personality. It's sort of when you go choose a puppy, there are all these criterias of what you're supposed to look for. And then there was another kitty whose name was Toby. That was Larry's brother, who was adorable. So Larry, now Stuart, as a kitten, was less adorable than Toby, but was more lovey. Now, I'll tell you, we all know that Stuart has matured into a gorgeous cat, but that was the struggle that we had. And so we had this debate of sort of, well, he's cuter and he's friendly and he's less cute, but he's super friendly. What if we pick the wrong kitty? That's what stops people from making decisions. What if I pick the wrong one? That happens. I knew somebody who bought a house and within three weeks of moving in, knew that they had bought the wrong house. And like you say, how do you handle that decision? Well, she lived in the house for about a year and a half and ultimately sold the house and moved to another house. It happens. And I think that's the language that we want to use with kids is that we make choices and decisions. We don't want to over value small decisions, right? It doesn't really matter if you wear the green shirt or the red shirt. And then with bigger decisions, like which college are you going to go to or who are you going to marry or what house you're going to buy, we spend more time evaluating those decisions. But we still cannot know for sure if that's the perfect decision. And so it's all about that flexibility and looking for a larger sweet spot because making no decision doing nothing, not moving forward, that's how anxious people stay stuck because they won't take any risk. Remember, anxious people don't want to take any risk. So it could be a decision of, should we get a cat or not? It could be a decision of, should we move or not? And people oftentimes will do nothing because the distress that they feel at possibly making a bad decision shuts them down. Yeah. I think using the word perfect indecision or perfect choice is a really bad idea. That it does seem saying like the decision that you make, just own that that was your choice. We were talking about kitties and suddenly it sounded like we were talking about colleges or or husbands or these decision skills are applicable at every age and at every circumstance. And so thinking about what do you prioritize? And if you prioritize this, then you should feel good about choosing this. But I think that's a great thing to say to our college age kids and our kids of all ages. If it's not the right school, you can transfer. Adults have bought the wrong house. The result of a choice that you later think wasn't the right one can be addressed. And it's really important when we're working with little kids, when we're talking with little kids about decision making, is that we start introducing the language that some decisions are bigger and smaller than other decisions. It really is okay for us to start to differentiate with kids about what's a bigger decision versus a smaller decision. Because remember, with anxiety, the content doesn't matter, and they treat every decision with equal weight. And so we can start working on these skills with little decisions and then be able to generalize them as we're making decisions that are a little more loaded as we get older. And I want to go back to a little bit about talking about the perfectionism. Questions that some of the parents asked on the podcast group, they really were seeing this showing up in little kids and they're saying, 
is this a problem and how do I help? It really is something that you do want to pay attention to in your family as usual, because if you are a family in which there is a lot of rigidity or there is this pressure to be perfect or there is an expectation to be perfect, if you're in a family in which when people make mistakes, that there's a high price to pay emotionally for making a mistake, you really want to pay attention to how you can begin to infuse the language of it's okay for this to not feel good. And it's okay for us to make a decision and still have a little bit of doubt about it. But the goal is, how are we going to move forward? One of the things that is really important if you're dealing with a child like this is that you don't get into a big debate about the content of the decision if it's a small decision, that you use the language of, look, you can wear your red shirt or your green shirt. And this is one of those times when worry is really making it difficult for you to make a decision. And here's what I want to say to your worry. Worry, this is not a big decision. This is not a huge, powerful, important choice. And I need you to back off so that we can choose which shirt to wear and get out the door. As always, we're addressing how the worry works rather than getting into a discussion about the cost-benefit analysis of whether or not you should wear this shirt or that shirt. If you're talking about little decisions versus big decisions with younger kids, are you implying then that when a big decision pops up, then the worry is justified? How do you move the language without then all of a sudden like, okay, now we can worry (laughs) because this is really tough. Yeah. You do want to help kids differentiate between different kinds of decisions because there are different levels of importance, right? Even think of it in terms of an adult thing, whether or not you choose to buy this car or that car is a less pressing decision generally compared to when you're choosing to buy this house or that house, the financial investment. Whether or not you're choosing to buy a different house in the same town or to move your family across the country because you got a different job offer. So there are different levels of decisions that we make. We want to help kids practice with the little decisions. We want to help them recognize that there's a process of decision making and there is a differentiation between something that the stakes are super low and the stakes are super high. The difficulty with this is that, for example, say that we're talking about tweens or teens, social decisions that we may think are either go to the birthday party or don't go to the birthday party, those feel much more loaded based on the developmental stage of the kid. So a social decision is going to feel very big. It's going to feel like an adult buying a car whether you're deciding which party you should go to, which person you should have over, what you should say or not say. So we want to pay attention to the developmental stages for sure. But the main goal is to say consistently from little to big, there is a process we go through of making decisions. We get information if information is needed. But if we are making a decision that is a daily decision, a preference decision, that getting into the process of evaluating it really isn't necessary. And what you're seeing, particularly in little kids that are struggling with those little decisions, is that you're seeing kind of a budding need for certainty, a budding need for perfectionism, 
and they need more practice not knowing exactly what's going to happen. Okay, let's talk about some good language to use with older kids after the break. If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy The Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of The Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. For the last 20 years, I've been helping moms through growth and transformation. Inside the Shameless Mom Academy, I help you identify who you are and who you are becoming. Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. Okay, so now back to the show. So Robin, this can be complicated. There's so many different types of decisions, and we've got kids of different ages. And so it can get a little tangled. So let me untangle it a little bit. The skill of making decisions. So say we're talking about with older kids, say we're talking about important decisions that have an impact. So it might be a decision about what courses you're going to take. It might be a decision about which friends you're going to hang out with. It might be a decision about what job you're going to take. You're looking at your first part-time job. It might be a decision about whether or not you're ready to get your driver's license. Those type of decisions, when you need to evaluate the information, those are different types of decisions than if you're deciding whether or not you're going to have chocolate ice cream or vanilla ice cream. When kids get older and when they're making decisions that are going to have an impact, we want to teach them the skill of evaluating the information, of making a decision based on what they know now, and at the very same time, making room for the fact that that decision that they're making with information they have now, that solid information the results of that decision may change as they move forward. 
one of the things that happens is that there's this sense of permanence that you make a decision and this is going to be life-changing and there's nothing you can do about it and you better make the right decision. What we're looking for, which is what I talk about quite often, is as much regret prevention as we can do ahead of time when we're making those big decisions. The way that you put regret prevention in place is that you get the information, you look at the information, you make a decision, and you remind yourself that you made a decision based on what you know now. This is a long time ago, actually. I was talking to a a friend of mine who's a psychologist, and she was trying to make a decision about whether or not to take on a new position professionally that would require a significant amount of effort and time. And she was dealing with her children and she wanted to make this decision and she wanted the guarantee that would be the right decision in the future. She couldn't know that. She couldn't know what was going to happen with her children. She couldn't know whether or not who she was working with was going to stay who she was working with. And what we talked about as we were talking about making this decision is after she made the decision. She was going to write a letter to herself, reminding herself of how she made the decision then. So that in two years or a year from then or four years from now, if it was no longer the right job, if the position didn't work out, she wouldn't beat herself up and say, oh, I should have never taken that job. No, she took the job based on the information that she had at the time That's a very important thing to emphasize with older kids who are making important decisions. It also reminds me of what you talk about a lot is that we're, it's like driving a car and you make adjustments and turns and stops along the way. And sometimes you make U-turns. That's right. I remember you took a job once and the person who you were really excited to work for left the company. Yeah. Just like a few weeks into the job. (laughs) It wasn't a great job then after that. Right. But you had no idea. So you made a good decision to take that job based on the information that you had at the time. And then once the situation at your job changed, then you had to change. The very same thing happened to me. I was working at a mental health agency when I was a new young social worker. And the person who is my boss, my supervisor, was fabulous. Well, she ended up leaving and this other person came in as my supervisor and she was wackadoodle-doo. So I had to make a decision about what I was going to do based on an unexpected change that did not factor into my decision-making when I took the job, but it certainly factored into my decision-making as I thought about my next step. That's a process that we want to teach kids as they become teenagers and as they become adults. It's how do I make a decision with the information I have, knowing that there is uncertainty in the future? Yeah, that's interesting, too. So obviously, we just passed that May 1st deadline. So a lot of families and kids chose a college. And for some families, that was very easy. Then for others, there are kids who are narrowing it down to one or two choices, and they don't have that an emotional connection with an outcome or an emotional connection with a choice. So they found that very difficult. Let's just think about if that was your kid and they just couldn't make a decision like that. They didn't have any sort of skills or history that they could pull from and they're stuck. What do you say to them? Well, at that point, if they're stuck, if they can't make a decision, This is when you have to say to them, so right now, we are at a point where not making a choice 
is a decision. So say we take college as the example. One thing you're clear about is that you want to go to college and you went through this application process. We've narrowed it down to these two schools and you've got to make a choice. So at this point, you are not feeling certain about either of these places. What decision you're going to make is right now, it's got a lot of doubt folded into it. So you have a choice to make. The choice is either you don't go to one of these schools or you choose one of these schools. And by May 1st, we have to make that decision. It seems to be right now that whatever decision you make is going to come with uncertainty and discomfort. And that is going to increase your anxiety because anxiety doesn't like uncertainty and it doesn't like discomfort. But at this point, we're going to make a choice and we are going to accept that it is going to come with discomfort, that we don't know exactly how it's going to turn out, and that we and you have the skills necessary to deal with the choice that you're making. That's what you want to focus on with kids is that we're going to make a choice. It's a difficult choice. There's not a lot of certainty. We're going to feel uncomfortable. But we also know that we, you, have the ability to manage the choice that you're making. Now, what becomes an interesting question if we're talking about this is that if you have a child who's trying to make one of these big decisions, what job to take, whether or not to get their driver's license, whether or not to go away to school, and they're incapable of making that choice and they refuse to make that choice, that's kind of a sign that they don't have a level of maturity or autonomy in order to make big decisions. And that means that's something that you got to be working on. If the very first big choice that your child is making is what school to go to, then that's not where you want to start this process. You want to start it earlier. And again, we go all the way back to when you're six years old or five years old and you're trying to decide which shirt to wear or whether or not to go to the grocery store or the dump. You can start to build those skills with your kids and to be able to navigate choices. Decisions happen on a regular basis. We make decisions every single day. How do we begin to use that language that really gives our kids the experience of figuring out what's the choice they want to make? I stay away from saying the best choice. Make the choice they want to make, knowing that they have some skills to manage. Life is just a series of choices that add up over and over and over again. Life is a series of choices that we make, a series of decisions that we make. Some are not so important and some are more important. How do you help your child tolerate this process over and over and over again? Do you know what I saw as a mom who just toured schools? Yeah. I liked how my daughter made choices in the week of what she liked, what she didn't, what schools are not on the list, what are the top of the list. But you know what was kind of weird? A lot of times in this past week, we just got back from this tour. She would make very big decisions about what she liked and what type of school she wanted. And then we'd be at a restaurant and she would say, what do I order? <laughs> and I would say, that's your choice. That's your choice. Because I was like, you know what? Like, we got to stop this. At some point, I don't want her asking me that. And I've always given her that autonomy, especially she's a great cook. We're into food. 
She's like, what should I order? And often I, I'm like the Meg Ryan character. And like, we're going to order that because the place will do this well. But you know, it's just like, no, not my choice. That's your choice. I mean, obviously it's anxiety producing for any junior or whatever, but it's like sometimes you might spend the muscle in one thing and then be out of gas. But as a parent, we've got to help say nope and not step in. Right. Like, I mean, I think this whole process is about learning not to make the choices for them. Correct. You know, and again, it depends on the situation. Sometimes it depends on the age of your child. You don't want to give a three year old 17 choices about what they're going to have for dinner. You want to look for opportunities that are developmentally appropriate that fit into what your family is doing for your child to work the decision muscle to work the choice muscle. And as weird as it sounds, but this won't be surprising to people who listen to this podcast, we want to give them the opportunity to make bad choices. That's part of learning, right? right? So if your child has never made a bad choice, or if your child feels like if they make a bad choice, they have no idea what will happen because they've never had that experience, then we're going to have a problem. So you're going to make a choice. You're going to make a bad choice. It's sometimes when people talk to me about picky eaters, which we did an episode on picky eaters a while ago, is that oftentimes there's this fear of what if I taste something or what if I order something or what if I eat something and I don't like it? Well, that's okay. What if I choose to do this thing and I don't like it? What if I choose to go to this movie and I don't like the movie? That's okay. What if you spend your money to go to a Patriots playoff game in the freezing cold and they lose and you just spent a lot of money and you sit out in the freezing cold and it was really disappointing? That's okay. It's about being able to take reasonable risk and to make choices and decisions without knowing exactly what's going to happen and to tolerate when it doesn't go well. That's the skill that we want to develop. Can I ask you kind of a woo-woo question? Sure. Let's just take an example of the child who's torn between two college choices. Mm -hmm. If you could eliminate the anxious pattern, I'm curious if the child has actually a choice they are more inclined to take, but the noise of the anxiety pattern is not helping them see what that is. And if you removed that anxiety, would they say, no, I do feel this one? Or do you feel like the really anxious child just genuinely doesn't have a preference? Well, it could go either way. So an anxious child, remember that somebody who's anxious, what they're trying to avoid is discomfort. They're trying to avoid something. They're trying to avoid making a mistake. They're trying to avoid screwing up. They're trying to avoid feeling sometimes. They're trying to avoid the things that scare them, the things that they feel like they can't handle. And so if we can remove the chatter of the worry, if we can remove the chatter of the anxiety, that's basically saying, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, then sometimes we can sort of figure out what it is that this child really wants. It's the same with adults, is that if we can remove this layer of what if, what if, what if, you have to know, you have to know, you have to know, and we just allow ourselves to sort of make a decision based on, again, the information or based on, sometimes it's based on how we feel, but the anxiety is always there to say, what if you make a mistake? What if something goes wrong? What if you screw up? What if you can't handle it? When we're giving kids confidence, right? And people sometimes talk about self-esteem, not my favorite phrase, but when we're giving kids confidence, 
it's not the confidence that they're always going to do things perfectly. It's the confidence that they can make a decision, that they can make a choice, that they can move in a certain direction based on what they know about themselves, based on their own experiences, based on what they like, what they don't like, with the added benefit or the added caboose of if I make a bad decision, I can handle it. So when we get rid of the anxiety part of it, when we get rid of the anxiety chatter, when we get rid of the doubt, we're really opening kids up to really figure out what works for them with that added sense of, if it doesn't work, I know how to make adjustments. But anxiety is not really good at giving kids that opportunity, that room to experiment. Well, to all the families who did have to make that big decision May 1st, I hope it is something that everyone feels good about now. (laughs) I hope you make the right decision. I hope it doesn't go horribly wrong. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Yeah. I hope you chose the perfect school. Yes. I hope you chose the perfect school for your child. I've said this before. I had one child that went off to a school that he really thought maybe he would like, although he wasn't really all that attached to it. And he transferred after a year. I had another son who chose the perfect school, who got into the fabulous school. And he said it was good, but it, you know, he wasn't probably the best school for him. So it goes and both of them did fine and they graduated and they're doing great. But it really is the ability to see the big picture, which is that there's all sorts of choices and decisions. Some will go well, some won't. How is the worry? How is the anxiety making this feel so much like the decision that has to be correct? Just is not right? There's a lot of adjusting that happens. Okay. So Robin, when this airs on May 5th, May 5th today is kind of a big day because Anxious Nation, the documentary that I am in and involved in is premiering. It's being released all over the country today, May 5th. Yeah. You can go to the website and see if it's playing at a theater near you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We had our big global world premiere on May 3rd. That was a virtual event. So I can't tell you how that went because we're recording this before I had that. And the documentary is recommended for what age kids should watch it. Teenagers, I would say. Any teenager, 13, 14. There are kids in it that are 13 and 14. It doesn't pull any punches. It's not a sweet, rosy documentary, but it's very hopeful at the end. So I would say it's great for adults and for teenagers. That's anxiousnation.com. Anxiousnation.com. Slash fluster. (laughs) (laughs) If this episode was helpful to you, you can join our Facebook community and we'd love it if you left a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Fluster Clucks. Bye, Robin. Bye, Lynn. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of TILT is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the TILT Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, 
tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.